Awesome. If you would, in your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. That's where we're going to be, and you can hold your spot there. Uh, we're going to get there here in just a bit, and um, beginning a brand new series today. I'll share a little bit more about that here in just a few moments, but Hebrews chapter 10 is where we're going to be. So, uh, you know, there are certain statements in life that I think are, in some ways, uh, pretty well known by most everybody, but we never really consider the implications of those particular statements. One of the statements that I would have in mind would be this one, that every single person in this room today is on a journey, right? You probably knew that already. You knew you're in a journey to some degree. You've just never really thought about what that means in your life. But every single person who occupies a seat in this room today, right here, is ultimately on a journey. You're on some type of a journey. And that journey changes at times in life. A journey, for those of you that are in your 40s, 50s, 60s, or older right now, your journey that you were on when you were in your 20s probably looked a little different than it does now that you're, you know, 20, 30, 40 years or so older, right? Sometimes the journey changes, but every single one of us is on a journey. And for some of you, maybe that journey is a journey in search of fulfillment. It's a journey in search of happiness, Maybe others of you, it's a journey in search of accomplishment, right? Whether that's in your career or whether that's academically or in some other way. For others of you, it's a journey of popularity, right? You just want to be kind of in with a certain group or a certain person or, you know, a certain crowd or what have you. But all of us are on a journey, every single one of us. And the other thing about that is that every single journey has a path, right? There's a pathway that we follow to get to the destination of whatever, we're, whatever journey that we're on. Let, let me give an example. So if, if your journey is a search for, uh, let, let's see, a career accomplishment, then, then there's going to be a pathway for that. That pathway may be included graduating from high school and then attending a certain school, a college, where you desired and ultimately selected a specific degree path, right? That was part of the pathway towards your journey, uh, uh, you know, seeking career accomplishment. And, and then eventually you got your degree, maybe you went to grad school, and got an advanced degree, and then you kind of got that entry-level position. But in all of it, you were looking towards an end destination of that journey. And, and, and for you, maybe you've been on that journey for years, maybe decades for some of you. And that journey towards career accomplishment has been many, many steps along the way. Or, or for some of you, maybe if your journey, let's say you can think back to where you were back years ago, or maybe even currently, let's say the journey was, was marriage. You, you wanted a marriage. I mean, you wanted to be married. You wanted to have a lifelong companion. And so part of that pathway to that, to that destination included you know, meeting someone and then dating and then engagement, and then ultimately your marriage and your life together. So every journey has a path. For every single one of us, we're all on a journey somewhere. Every one of those journeys has a path. But have you ever thought about this, that your relationship with God is also a journey? Your relationship with God is also a journey, and that journey as well has a path associated with it also. That as you walk through your life, and I would be willing to say that not just because I'm a pastor, but just because I've been a follower of Christ for so long, that that journey, your journey with God is the most important journey of all, more important than a relational journey or a journey for more wealth or accomplishment or popularity or what have you. It's your journey with God that's the most important of all, right? That is the one that is going to carry the most weight. And when you think about that journey with God, and when you think about that pathway that's associated with it, I think the word that the Bible would most often use for that would be the word discipleship. 
that our journey with the Lord as we walk with him, that path is called discipleship. And it has a starting point. That starting point is salvation. That starting point is when we ultimately give our lives to Jesus. Or maybe you remember when you gave your life to Jesus, whether you were a little kid and you were raised in a family home where Jesus was honored and it was kind of a natural decision for you to embrace that faith you know, as your own at some point, or whether you weren't raised in a godly family and maybe you were older in life and, and you set out on a lot of different journeys and finally you heard the gospel and it, it struck a chord for you and you realized, man, I need Jesus and I need to give up my sin and I need to follow him. And you made that decision. Well, that decision to follow Christ started a pathway of discipleship, but it began with that first step of salvation, giving your life to Jesus. If you've never made that decision today, that's your first step in the journey with God is to give your life to Christ, lay down your sin, say, Lord Jesus, I've blown it. I believe you're God and I know you died and rose for me. And today I leave my sin the best I can and I invite you to forgive and take over my life, right? That's the first step on that path in your journey with God. But let's just assume that for most of you, for many of you, you've already made that decision. So what does that pathway to discipleship ultimately look like? Well, it's the Bible that that ultimately really helps us to see what this discipleship pathway looks like. There are some characteristics, many of these that Jesus laid out himself. I know we were having issues earlier, and so uh, I'm just going to let you follow along with me if you want as I read some of these passages of Scripture. Jesus would say in Luke chapter 9, he would give us a little bit of a picture of what discipleship looks like. Listen how he describes it in Luke chapter 9, verse 23 and verse 24. It says, and he was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Now, you'll see here, there are some words highlighted. Discipleship looks a lot like, in Jesus' words, denying ourselves, our agenda, our path, right? Taking up his cross daily. In other words, living a life of surrender daily to him and then following him. And he says, for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Let's go to the next slide if we can. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. So Jesus, in his own words, paints this this picture of what discipleship looks like. It looks a lot like surrender, right? Surrender to him, pushing aside our agenda so that we can get on the pathway towards his agenda for our lives. We deny ourselves, we take up our cross daily, we die to ourselves, and we follow him ultimately. He would also say in John chapter 8, he would give us another glimpse of what discipleship looks like verse 31. It says, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. That's the word he uses, disciples. I know it sounds archaic. It sounds a lot like a 2000 year old word, but it's a word that that translates really well to what we should strive for today, that we are disciples. We are followers of Christ. And he tells us here that one of the marks of a disciple is that of obedience. We deny ourselves We take up our cross, we follow him, and we obey him and his word, right? So we're getting this picture of what it looks like. Acts chapter 2. When we look in Acts chapter 2, this is an interesting view because this is now the early church. Peter has preached a message to the early church. Jesus has already died. He's already risen. He's already gone back to the Father, to heaven. We're still waiting for his second return, right? But the early church would ultimately be birthed in a short period of time after Jesus went back to the Father. 
And it would be birthed when Peter, one of his disciples, would preach the message of the gospel. People would hear and they would give their lives to Christ. Now look at what this little group of followers looked like. It says in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, So then those who had received his word were baptized... And that day there were added about 3,000 souls. And so, boom, there were 3,000 members of the body of Christ, 3,000 brand new believers. And it says they, this group, were continually, that's a, that's a key word, continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Many would believe that that reference to breaking of bread doesn't mean they just took meals together, but that it's a reference to the Lord's Supper. It was a picture of worship. So what, what did discipleship look like in the early church? It looked a lot like submitting to the teaching of the, of the Bible, right, of God's word. It looked a lot like fellowshipping together, being together, gathering together, worshiping together, and ultimately praying. Going back to Matthew chapter 28, the last words essentially that Jesus would share as he was ascending just about up back to the father look at what he says here he adds to it jesus came up and spoke to them saying all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit teaching them to observe all that i commanded you and lo i'm with you always even to the end of the age so jesus even goes a step further And he tells us that our salvation is not just for us, it is to be passed on to others around us as well. And so you put all this together, you begin to get this picture of what discipleship looks like. We're on a journey with God, right? If you've given your life to Christ, that journey started when you gave your life to Jesus and you began a journey that day, a brand new journey, a a journey that, 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 that the Bible pictures for us as having a path. How do we then grow deeper in that relationship with God? How do we mature in our faith? How do we get to get in on what God wants to do in this world so that we can be a part of that as well? What does that look like? We've just read these verses and a lot of others as well that show us what the marks of a disciple are ultimately. And so this morning, we're going to start a brand new series called The Discipleship Pathway. Every journey has a path, including your journey with God. That if you've given your life to Jesus, right, you've taken care of that first step on that journey. You've given your life to Christ. What does that pathway look like? It is a pathway to discipleship. And and what we're going to look at over these next four weeks, today included, all four Sundays in August, I hope you'll plan to be here, uh, is that we're going to unpack a little bit of what this discipleship pathway looks like. Part of it is on you, right? Because nobody can live out your faith except you. They're, they're, nobody else can, can take that from you. You have to pour in to your walk with God, and only you can do that. But we as a church can help to facilitate that. And so this discipleship pathway captures what we count to be important as a church and how we want to help you as you mature and walk down that pathway in your relationship with God. So you're going to see this, this image a lot. You've already seen it when you came in this morning, uh, depending on whichever doorway you came in. You're going to see it a lot. It's going to be in front of you a lot. And we're going to be breaking it down piece by piece over the course of these uh, Sundays, ultimately in, uh, in August. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who ultimately died for his faith, a uh, German theologian made a comment. He said uh, about discipleship, he said, Christianity without discipleship is Christianity without Christ. It is that important. Christianity without discipleship is Christianity without Christ. God wants us to mature and to grow in our faith. Today, in this series, we're going to begin with the one on the top left, faithfully worship. 
So let me just take a moment to walk through all four of these before we begin to dig in. This pathway, you'll see it's somewhat circular, and that's by design. It's not a linear path. It's not like you do the first part, and then you're ready to step into the second part, and then the third part, and then the fourth part. It's, it's not that way at all. But rather, what we should desire is for all four of these elements to be present consistently in our walk with God. So for us as a church, these are four things that we feel like if we can present these to people and see people begin to step onto this pathway, they're going to be able to do what God has ultimately called us to do in loving Jesus, serving others, and making disciples. Those come right out of the Bible, right? So this is how we want to help you to do that. It's not a linear path. You can kind of move in and out. All four of these elements should be present consistently in our lives. For every one of us, our goal, if we had the perfect church, as though you had a perfect pastor, which you don't, and we'll never be a perfect church, but if that's what we strive for, we would see every single person who's part of this ministry, 100% down to a person, engaged in this way because it comes right out of Scripture and it reflects what a true follower of Jesus looks like. So we start with faithfully worship. The way we try to do that is to lead people to gather together weekly through our weekly gatherings. That's more or less what this is today right here on a Sunday. Also, we aim to see people connect in community through classes and through groups. We'll break that one down next Sunday. Then we also seek to aim people to go even a step deeper, and that is to live a life that makes disciples right out of Matthew chapter 28. The way we do that is to encourage people to be engaged in D groups and then also training to help them to be able to grow in their walk with Christ. And then finally, the bottom left is to lead people to live on mission. That happens as people volunteer here. We've got folks right now upstairs volunteering with our kids ministry. We've got folks that are in the preschool that are volunteering with preschool ministry. You saw folks leading us in worship this morning. We've got a couple of grow groups that are meeting right now where people are volunteering to teach the Bible. And we've got a lot of other ministries that take place. The way we live on mission is by volunteering on the inside, but also equally, if not more important, between the Sundays outside the walls of the church, we live a life on mission, right? We live missionally, putting Christ on display. That's what a disciple looks like. And so today, let's jump in. As I mentioned, top left, faithfully worship. And for many, it's the, it's the most popular first step after they accept Christ is to engage weekly in a local church, to faithfully worship God together through weekly gatherings. So there's a story told of a fella who uh, one Sunday morning, his alarm was going. He'd hit the snooze button and the nine minutes had passed. Don't you love those nine minutes? It's the best nine minutes of the whole entire night. And the snooze alarm went off again. And his wife came to him because he wasn't waking up and she kind of shook him a little bit. She said, honey, come on, it's time to get up. We have to get ready to go to church. He said, I'm not going today. And she said, well, you got to get up and go. Come on, it's about that time. We're going to be late. He said, I'm telling you, I'm not going to that church today. The people down there are mean. Nobody seems to like me. Nobody ever has anything to say to me. And I'm not going back there. I'm not going there today. I'm taking the day off. She said, you can't do that. You, you, come on, you got to get up. We're going to be really, really late. And uh, it's not going to be good. He said, I'm telling you, I'm not going. I'm, he said, give me three reasons why I should go to church today. She said, well, number one, because it's what we do every Sunday. Number two, well, it's because it's what the Bible tells us to do. We're supposed to go to church on Sundays and gather with other believers. And number three, you're the pastor. So get up because they're going to be waiting for you down at the church. Right? So I say that just to say, man, listen, all of us have been there, including the guy standing up here speaking, right? We've all been there where there have been those days where it's like, you know what, I... I just, I don't know that I really want to be there. Any of you this morning, early, did you hear that rain falling on your roof? 
driving, pouring, rain. And maybe some of you, not you, is our live stream still down? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Woo, conviction. And so, so for, for you, you overcame the rain. Woo, big thing, right? Gold stars, you overcame that rain. You could have slept in and some of you probably thought about it. Right? Just be honest. You probably thought about it. And there are days for me where it's like, you know what? I would love to not be, be there today. I would love to have this, this little day off today and just sleep it in or do something different. Maybe, maybe for you sometimes it, it, was a, it was a really busy week and you put some extra overtime in and you're really tired. Or maybe you traveled a lot and you roll back in late on a Saturday or, or whatever it may have been. Right, but we've all been there. So I'm not like preaching at you. I've been there as well, and I work in a church. Okay, so we've all been to those moments where we didn't necessarily feel like going. And, and again, you've heard me say many, many times when we talk about coming to church, it's not about checking the box. It's not about routine. It's not about ritual. It, that, that should be nowhere in the mix, right? But have you ever wondered why it seems as though Coming to church in now, in today's day and age, it seems to be more optional than it's ever been for Christians. I'm not talking about for everybody else, but for Christians, it seems to be more optional than ever. I've been in ministry since the early 90s. Well, I started in 1990, actually, and uh, I've been in ministry uh, for most of that time ever since then. A little hiatus there in seminary and stuff, but uh, I've been in ministry most of that time ever since then. And, and it seems like I remember a day when... Uh, it, when it wasn't optional really about are we going to go to church on Sunday necessarily the way it is today. I remember there was a day when most people, it was just kind of what they did. Now, granted, may not have been with the right motives. Wish it would have been, right, for everybody. But it seems like nowadays a conversation like this often happens for a lot of believers. And it happens on Saturday afternoon, Saturday night, and it sounds like this. Hey, what do we have going tomorrow? Did you want to go to church or not? What's the option list in front of us? And does going to church fit as the top priority? Have you ever wondered <clears throat> Have you ever wondered why it is so optional for so many followers of Jesus about gathering together? faithfully and consistently. And again, hopefully many of you have heard me preach long enough to know it's not a stump that I jump up on and grind over and over and over. But as we're going to see, there is something to be said biblically for gathering consistently together faithfully for worship. What, what is it exactly that's, that's missed when we don't do that? I mean, if we kind of go a Sunday and then miss one or two and then come again and then miss two or three and then come again... If it's just sort of scattered, I mean, is there anything that's really missed? If, if, we, if we fall out of that pattern of faithfully gathering together with other believers to worship the Lord, is there anything even that's, that's missed with that? And, and why is it important to do that anyway? Because after all, maybe you've, you've, you've heard this or maybe you've said this before. I mean, I can worship God anywhere, right? Why do I need to go consistently to be with a bunch of other people? Um, why do I need to do that at all when I can just worship God anywhere that I want. Well, you're not the first person maybe to think through some of those things. In the book of Hebrews chapter 10, we see a little bit of a glimpse of some others 2,000 years ago that, that probably thought that way as well. So let's jump in here. Hebrews chapter 10. Let's begin in verse 19. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. So the writer of Hebrews is writing, and he says, therefore, brethren, 
since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. What the writer's saying here is he's defining what our faith is as Christians. He's saying that, that we, have, we have the amazing privilege of stepping into the presence of Almighty God, that, that we have the privilege of going straight to him because of Jesus. That we don't go through a priest, we don't go through a pastor, we don't go through a bunch of hoops that we jump through to get to God. If we've given our lives to Christ, we have the amazing opportunity to go straight to God. So that when you pray, dear Father, the God of all the universe, here's what you say. I don't, is this on? I don't know if anybody heard me. So when you pray... Dear Father, if you're a Christian, the God of the entire universe hears what you say. And he cares about what you say next. And he has a heart for what you say because he is a God who's personal and he is a God who is relational. That's what these first verses are saying. You have access to God, verse 21. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. There is a picture there that through Jesus, we, are, we have every right to step into the presence of God because Christ has made us righteous and holy. Verse 23 then, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. How how can we encourage one another to love God, to love others, to live lives that put that on display? Verse 25, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Verse 25, not forsaking our own assembling together, right? What's, what's the part of the components of the discipleship pathway that we faithfully worship? How do we do that here? We gather together in our weekly gatherings. That's called Sunday, Sunday worship, right? Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some. 2,000 years ago, whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, we don't know who it was. We know God wrote it. Uh, some say it was Paul. Some say it was Barnabas. Some give a couple of other options. Regardless, whoever wrote it had probably heard the thought of, why do I have to come down there to worship with those people? Because after all, I can worship God on the golf course. I don't know if they had golf courses 2,000 years ago. I can worship God on the boat, right? They had boats 2,000 years ago. I can worship God in nature. Why do I have to go there? And what God says through the writer of this book, Hebrews, whoever it was that wrote it, he says, don't forsake assembling together even though there are some who have taken that step. And, and, and I think we can say that they have either stepped off the pathway of discipleship, or not meaning they lost their salvation, or at, 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 maybe even at best they've stalled on that pathway to discipleship because they're not gathering together with other believers. Here's a principle I hope you jot down. We're going to be building on this, the whole rest of this series. Everything else in these next three weeks is going to build off of this, and the principle is this, that Christianity was never meant to be privatized. It was never meant to be privatized. What do I mean by that? Maybe you're familiar with that term in regards to industry or business. For an industry, for a business to be privatized, it basically means it comes outside the realm of public control into the realm of private control. 
that is not the way Christianity works. It was never the ideal of Scripture. When we read those, those verses in Luke and we read the verses in Matthew and we looked at the early church in Acts chapter 2, when we look at Hebrews chapter 10, never is there a picture that Christianity is to be privatized. Now, there is a personal aspect to your faith. Certainly, there's a personal aspect to your faith, but it's far too personal to be kept private, right? And the very clear picture of the disciple on the pathway is that they are going to engage faithfully, consistently with other believers to worship the God who has paid such a high cost for them to be who they are today, right? That's the picture. And Christianity was never meant to be privatized. It was never meant to be brought into the private realm. And, and, and so why is it so important for us to, to, to get this one right, that, that we ultimately gather together to worship? What is it that happens when we don't do that? So, so I'm going to make a statement here, and, and I want you to understand this is a general statement that I'm about to make. There are certainly outliers to this. But generally speaking, if we can, let's bring that graphic back up again. Generally speaking, again, there are outliers, there are exceptions, but generally speaking, if a believer who has a relationship with God is not faithfully worshiping together with other believers in their weekly gatherings of whatever church they're in, whatever that looks like, Sunday morning, Sunday night, whatever that is, for us, the biggest is Sunday morning. Generally speaking, if a believer is not engaging on that level, more often than not, they are also not engaging with others in Bible studies, small groups. They're not connecting with others, making disciples, sharpening one another, seeking to share the message of the gospel, and they're very possibly likely not living on mission either. I know they're outliers. I understand it. You may say, well, Brooks, I don't always go to church every Sunday, but I love the Lord and I read my Bible every day. And I, t- I understand. I know. But generally speaking, more often than not, if we fall off on that top left one, faithfully worship, we're probably going to fall off on all the others too, generally speaking. I mean, you think about maybe times in your life. I think about times in my life when I wasn't as consistent in church. There's probably a strong likelihood for most of us that if we weren't counting it as important enough to gather with other believers in obedience to what the Bible clearly says, then we probably didn't count it as important enough either to spend consistent time in his word and to tell other people about Jesus or to try to sharpen and encourage others as well, right? It's just, it's the law of the jungle, right? So this is such an important, such an important step, right, for us continuing down that pathway in our journey with God, growing in our faith, growing in our discipleship. And, and I want to say as well, I, I'm not, I'm, I'm really not trying to, I didn't wake up in a bad mood today. I woke up in a really good mood, right? I'm not trying to pick a fight or anything. <laughs> I mean, let, let's talk for a second about live stream because two years ago, two and a half years ago, almost two years and four months ago, every church in America went live stream, right? This one included because of COVID. We couldn't gather together. I mean, we felt like it was our Christian duty to, you know, kind of, go dark for 11 weeks for us. And so we would do all of our services online and every other church too. It was what was necessary in that time. So when we came back ever since then, really for, for these two years plus now, what we've seen is, is that something that's really good live streaming, we still live stream our services. We're doing it today. And, and uh, I mean, we're, we don't have a plan not to do it anymore. I mean, there's real value to it. If I were to go visit another church somewhere and I'm, I don't work on a church staff and I move to a new city and it's like, hey, I need to find a church. I'm going online first. I'm going to kind of get a feel for what they look like, but that's not going to be church. And I understand for, for some people, there are significant reasons why they can't come. They can't, they, they can't be here. There's some watching now that I know of that, that can't be here legitimately. They can't be here. And this is a great benefit to live stream services. But, but here's, here's what I'm saying. For a lot of believers, what has happened is 
is that church has now been redefined where it's not a place where we go to engage. It's something that we sit back and watch as it unfolds. And it's like the difference between reading a book about someone else's story and being in their story. Two totally different things. And for those who can only, uh, so to speak, attend via live stream because they cannot be here for health reasons or what have you, they, they have to work hard. They have to work harder, right, to engage in these other ways because this is a part of a disciple's journey. But for those who just treat church as optional, I'm going to catch it on TV. Man, I did that for 11 weeks myself, and I didn't even listen to myself preaching half the time because I was like drinking coffee or scrolling through my phone or whatever on my living room couch. I know I'm not that engaging, but it's bad when you can't listen to yourself, right? So just, just a word of caution. If church to you has become another, this church online, or another church in another city or another state online, and yeah, we watch First Baptist Oklahoma City every Sunday, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's great teaching, I mean, I would expect, but that's not church according to the way the Bible describes it. Here's something interesting. There's this Greek word, alalon, that's used almost 100 times in the New Testament that translates more often as one another. It means mutually, reciprocally. We usually see it translated as one another. The word alalon, Greek word, almost 100 times. 59 times that that Greek word is used in the New Testament, it's used to show us how to relate to other people. Listen to some of the examples that we are to love one another, John 13. That's very hard to do in isolation. Imagine telling your wife through the door, day after day, I love you. And she yells back, I love you too. (laughs) It's like in isolation that kind of doesn't carry the same weight, right? It can only be done together. Honor one another. You can't do that easily in isolation. Be devoted to one another. That doesn't happen in isolation. Romans 14, build up one another. Galatians 5, serve one another. Colossians 3, bear with one another. Some of you are thinking, well, there are some people it's easier for me to bear with when I'm isolated from them. I get that. Encourage one another. You can't do that in isolation. All these things can only be done. Almost a hundred times the Greek word is used. Do this to one another. Love one another. Be on, uh, honor one another. Be devoted to one another. Uh, um, uh, serve one another. All of those times, almost a hundred times in the New Testament, that word is used. Fifty-nine times tells us how to relate to others, and it carries the impact of, the, uh, of, of this picture that we cannot live our lives independently of one another, right? Christianity was never meant to be privatized. It is to be lived out with other believers. Iron doesn't sharpen iron unless the iron touches, right? And part of the pathway for us, and I know there are moments when we don't feel like going. I know there are moments when we just wish we could just be alone. I I, I get that. I understand that. I've been there. I'm human, But it's a dangerous step when we step off the path at what is often the easiest and the first step. And that's just worshiping with other believers faithfully and consistently. Have you ever wondered why governments in atheistic countries, communist countries are so opposed to the church gathering? You ever thought about that? Why do these atheistic countries, these communist countries, why do they force the church? They don't even force them underground. The church chooses to go underground. Why do they make it so difficult to gather publicly, in many cases counting it as illegal? Why do these communist atheistic countries not allow Christians to gather? Because even they know the power of what can happen when believers come together in unity. 
right? It's that powerful. Even a communist country gets it of what can happen when Christians fulfill this first step, this important step in the discipleship pathway of just simply gathering together faithfully in worship. The local church is an expression of the global church, right? There are churches in Cuba. There are churches in the Philippines. There are churches in Thailand. There are churches in Europe that are gathering together. We are a local expression of the global church, believers that speak a different language, but who worship and honor the same Lord Jesus, right? And the local church is also an expression of the heavenly church, all of it to be lived out in unity. It's that important. So let me recap. Christianity was never meant to be privatized. Your relationship with God is a journey. And on that journey, there's a pathway. So when you look at that step called worshiping faithfully together, would you say that you are on that path? Would you say you're stalled on that path, that it's not as faithful or as consistent as it could be? Or would you say you're thriving on that path? Where do you fall? as a follower of Jesus. Springer Mountain, Georgia, is what's called the southern terminus of the Appalachian Trail. On the Appalachian Trail, running from Georgia to Maine, there is a, an endpoint on one end at the southern and an endpoint on the other, the northern. There's not really a start and a finish because some people start up north and hike south and others start south and hike north depending on the time of year. But every year you'll have people that will jump on that trail <clears throat> to travel the next 2,190 miles beginning at Springer Mountain, Georgia, the southern terminus of the Appalachian. And as they get on that trail, their goal is to be a through hiker, meaning they're not hiking a 15, 20, 30-mile segment and then going back to work on Monday. No, they're getting on that trail at this their starting point, and they're going to hike that 2,190 miles until they finish over the next four to six months. And every year, these thru-hikers get on that trail, many at Springer Mountain, Georgia. One-fourth of those thru-hikers will actually complete the journey on the other end in Maine. 75% of them, three out of four, will not complete the journey. And yet, for those who complete it, it included a starting point. Let's call that salvation. And it included a next step and a next, and a next. And the moment that the next step was not taken, the journey ended. Three-fourths of them, at some point, said, I'm out. No next step for me. Christian, you're on a journey with God, and that journey has a path. Just going to heaven is not the journey. Walking with him until then is a big part of it. Part of that pathway includes gathering together with other believers to worship him faithfully. And when you examine where you are in that commitment, not to check a box, not to just go through the motions, but to genuinely engage him in worship alongside your brothers and your sisters in Christ, where would you say you land on that path? And if you've never started the journey to begin with, man, the whole reason Jesus came and died and rose was to be the perfect payment for your sin, to be your Savior and your Lord, to pick you up out of the mess of sin and to give you a clothing of his forgiveness and righteousness. And he'll do it if you just turn from it 
and say, Jesus, would you forgive even me and take over? And I promise you, he will. Let's pray. Heads bowed, eyes closed. I hope for those of you that have a relationship with the Lord today that as you take inventory, I hope today that you've been able to see clearly from his word that being together in worship faithfully, consistently is so important. It's a part of that discipleship pathway. In, in many ways, everything else falls in line under that because if we're not even willing to engage together in worship, we're probably not going to be engaging others in further discipleship and Bible study and serving others and sharing the gospel. And maybe for you, there's a commitment to be made today, maybe in the quietness of this moment, that you're willing to say, you know what, I, I want to finish out this whole series. I, I want to commit unless, unless I'm just providentially hindered. I, I want to be here for these next three messages to see what else this discipleship pathway looks like. And then beyond that, I want to be faithful. I want, I, want to be, I want to be engaged. I don't want to just be an attender. I want to be engaged. And I want to grow and I want to experience the abundant life that Jesus spoke about that doesn't come when we just dabble with him. It comes when we get on the path and we walk with him through the tough hikes and the valleys and the, and the mountain peaks with the amazing views. It's when we get on the path and we walk it and we advance and we stay there. And so God, I pray today, Lord, that we'll be faithful. We'll be that church, Lord, that's strong and healthy because we're here together with each other because we're invested in one another, because we worship you deeply, because we're part of your work of making disciples and of serving others, of loving you with all of our heart. God, whatever next step it is for us, we're going to be seeing some of those these next three weeks. But God, whatever our next step is, Lord, help us to be faithful to take it so that we don't become another one of those who's just stagnant and stuck on their journey with you. God, we want to grow. Help us to do it. Holy Spirit, please bring that in our lives. And we'll give you the glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray.